0: Hello. This is the Sensitive Matters Podcast, a podcast bringing empaths, perceptive people, creatives, unique projects, and sensitive matters into the spotlight. Join us for meaningful conversations that inspire and have the power to gently create awareness around sensitive and important matters such as mental health, conscious consumerism, sexuality, spirituality, ethical business, and much more. I am Christina Zipperlin, founder of the ethical jewelry brand Ananda Soul. I'm a highly sensitive human who values community, creative and spiritual exploration, and ways to make a positive impact. I'm also a psychology student and mental health and LGBTQIA advocate. We're tuning in from the magical island of Bali where I've lived for over 12 years and is the home of my jewelry company that strengthens and gives back to the local community. Thank you for joining us for these conversations as we, together, explore sensitive matters. And now, enjoy the episode. Hello, and thank you for joining us for Sensitive Matters. This podcast is brought to you and made possible by Ananda Soul Jewelry. I created Ananda Soul in Bali over 12 years ago to offer heartfelt, intentional jewelry that works with the community I grew to know and love on the island that has become my home. Ananda brings creativity respect for Balinese ritual, and a wish to give back to the local community to everything we do. To learn more about our story, ethics, and to receive $15 of your first order when you sign up for a newsletter, head over to anandasoul.com. I am so excited to welcome a very special guest to the podcast today, who is a personal teacher and big inspiration of mine. There's so much I want to say about Sataram Kaur. For now, in this brief introduction, I will say that she is someone whom I greatly admire and look up to as she has dedicated her life's work to women's health as a naturopathic doctor, to spiritual practice as a kundalini yoga teacher and facilitator, and to the compassionate inquiry psychotherapeutic approach she developed with Dr. Gabor Mate. Sataram, welcome to Sensitive Matters. Thank you so much, Christine. It's a joy to be here. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I know we don't have crazy much time today, but I'm actually gonna just invite us to take a few breaths to ground us in. So just a very, very short meditation. So it feels comfortable for you to close your eyes. You're welcome to do that. You can also keep them open and just connecting with the breath right here. And noticing what's alive in the body right now. Becoming aware of any surfaces. the body might be touching. A chair, maybe your back, becoming aware of your feet, your connection to the earth. And just acknowledging the sense of support that's there as our body rests. Leaning into that support as we trust that whatever is coming through in this conversation today is exactly what is meant to be here right now, and what is meant to arise for anyone who feels called to listen. Taking a deep breath and slowly opening your eyes. Thank you mm-hmm. Thank you. You're known for many things. <laughs> and i'd I'd love to start with Kundalini yoga and i'd I'd love to just hear um well, maybe for anyone who's not familiar with the practice, just a little summary of, of what it what it means to you and also the benefits that it brings you in your own life.
1: Uh, thanks, Christina. Um, I love Kundalini Yoga, and it's been profound for me for decades to be able to practice it and share it with others. <clears throat> for those who aren't familiar with it, it consists of various Breathing exercises or pranayams, and there are literally hundreds of different combinations of breathing practices that we will do in kundalini yoga. Each one is uh, is a precious gift with slightly different effects, and that's part of the fun, enjoyment for me of kundalini yoga, of trying something different and, and experiencing, oh, that's what this one does. Oh, this is a little different just experiencing the the subtle shifts uh, in doing the practice and um, from one practice to the next. And then kundalini yoga also includes asanas usually done in sequence in a particular yoga set. So rather than repeating the same sequence over and over again, we have again hundreds or thousands of yoga sets and each of those... Sets of exercises are known as a kriya. Kriya means uh, completed action. And so there might be five or ten exercises to open the heart chakra or five or ten exercises to strengthen the adrenal glands or five or ten exercises to expand the aura. So I love that about kundalini yoga, that you can pick one area of the body or one um, function or one aspect of being human and either balance or magnify that through a particular sequence of postures that's 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 set it's like following a recipe in a cookbook <laughs> oh i want to make this brownie i'm going to follow this recipe and get the brownie so i know when i and having done kundalini yoga for so many years i have my favorite sets or kriyas and i know when i do a particular kriya. Because I've done it many times before, what the result is going to be—it's it's just so beautiful. It's just so beautiful to um, have that practice to bring to the body, and and then it brings balance to the body. It uh, clears the body, clears the mind, clears the emotions, um, increases the energy flow everywhere, the pranic flow everywhere. It's profound, and then we have mantras and the mantras help to and and we have probably about 40 different mantras that are are used maybe 10 that are really commonly used and mantra is a way to bring in devotion and to um align with the infinite self that each of us is aligned with the true self instead of being entrapped or attached to the stories we tell ourselves, the beliefs we tell ourselves. And mantras also, um, what I find incredible about mantras is that they open up over time. So I remember in the early days of practicing Kundalini Yoga, I would repeat these mantras, and I I would just repeat the mantras because someone told me to repeat the mantras. And then many decades later, it's, oh, my God goodness, now I know what that means, Uh, because I would have an experience of the mantra almost like revealing itself on a very, very deep spiritual level. Uh, And then I sort of become that revelation, like it's an evolution within oneself to work with a mantra. It's almost like chipping away at a rock, you know, and then you have this beautiful sculpture that was there all along that's kind of how a mantra works so there's certain mantras that i absolutely love and that i use every day and that have become a very trusted companion and sacred companion um, so the combination of pranayam, physical uh, postures done in sequence and mantra is so profound because then you're you're covering all your bases of what it means to be human, what it means to be a conscious human, in touch with truth, with uh, in touch with the body, uh, in touch with energy, and it's as though in a in a, just a few minutes of Kundalini yoga practice, you can shift your gears, you can shift from one state to another. And so that's important to to recognize that we don't have to stay stuck in any kind of depression or anxiety or stagnation or loss of will. 20 minutes of kundalini yoga practice can open everything up again. So that's why I love it. It's constant renewal, constant renewal, constant regeneration. And then the other thing that happens is at least – I believe this is what's happened for me after many decades of practice is my intuition becomes very clear. Uh, what I'm supposed to do to say yes to, to say no to becomes very clear. This this inner GPS or guidance, um, the only way to explain it is what is my, what's the purpose of my soul in this lifetime? You know, what's what am I here to be and to do? Becomes super clear. Through the practice of Kundalini Yoga and everything else, kind of just becomes secondary. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's magic. Mm. <laughs> it's magic.
0: Sounds like such a blessing, especially in in these times of yeah. yeah just just hearing, you know, having tools to break out of states that I think a lot of people are unfortunately more familiar with than ever. You mentioned anxiety, depression. Yeah. Um, and having some way of contacting our intuition or being in touch with our intuition more as it feels like the world is very loud sometimes.
1: Yeah. yeah. The other the other beauty about Kundalini Yoga is that it's a gorgeous thing to do in a group.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So the other thing that happens when I just let a a weekend retreat. On my farm, we had 40 people doing practices related to the chakras. And the um, connection, the, the sort of the, just the, the, the loving connection and um, that happens when a group of people practices together, breathes together, moves together, chants together, is so, so healing, so healing.
0: And that's what we need to. We need mm-hmm. connection. Mm-hmm. As you're speaking, I just <clears throat> kept um, kept having the memories of when you and I first met, which was in Budapest. Yeah, at yeah. a program you developed called Beyond Addiction, and I'd love to speak a bit more about that program. About um, yeah, any practices, tools, tips that you have for people who are facing addiction whether it is them or a loved one and um, I know in my own life there's there's so many so many themes where it does pop up and you know it can show up in food and drugs and sex and self-destructive behaviors of so many kinds and so yeah I'd, I'd love to hear some of your tips and tools around addiction. The first piece would be to
1: recognize that the Addiction is that there's something underneath the addiction, right? The addiction is filling a void. We're seeking relief from some sort of emptiness or pain or repressed emotion, often linked to childhood trauma. Uh, And the addiction is there to soothe that. So the first thing is to not to make the addiction wrong, but to recognize that it's there as our fix and once we recognize that and are curious can be curious about it instead of blaming ourselves or feeling shame uh, then we can look at well what is underneath that so essentially what's required is to move towards the pain that's been suppressed that can only really, my experience is that can, well, it's the place to do that is in a a group where you feel safe and with others who understand and um, where there's compassion and acceptance and nothing is forced. No one's trying to change you. So because there's a very... There's another part of ourselves, a very young part of ourselves that's crying out for help. And that's what the addiction is um, meeting, you know. So when we become a little bit more conscious of that, acknowledge that, and have some compassion towards that needy part of ourselves, then we can look at, well, okay, what is it that I didn't express that I, I need to express, I need to feel? And is there another way that I can meet that need that isn't destructive to me or to others? So that's essentially it. So we need community. We need to be able to reach out. We need connection. And the yoga practices help to, like sometimes we missed a whole bunch of things that we should have gotten in childhood that we didn't get. And um, that's the disconnection. But the ultimate connection is to our spirit, or true self, whatever you want to call it, to the self. And that connection, even if we didn't have the optimal childhood, even if we, I don't know, were abandoned, were rejected, were beaten, were abused in any way, we can still, that that's what happened, but that doesn't need to affect us forever. We can still build the connection to the true self. We can still recognize that underneath everything that happened to us, we're a spiritual being living a human life. And there's part of us that is eternal, part of us that is pure love, a part of us that is absolute peace, absolute wisdom, Um, that has joy and that's what we access through the yoga that's what we access or give people a little taste of an experience of you can't talk that into somebody it has to be an experience and so we we generate that experience in a group through the kundalini yoga practices so that the person has a taste of who they are and then can slowly uh, let go really. It's about non-attaching, but also processing the pain. So it's it, you can't just drop the story. You've got to process the pain, the emotions that are inside that story allow them to unwind through a uh, connection with somebody else in a safe environment. And witnessing, you know, we all have to be witnessed. our pain has to be witnessed. And then we can slowly shed, slowly shed all that stuff that really doesn't belong to us, as a human. You know, hue meaning light, man in uh, Sanskrit means mind. So the light of the mind. So our nature is to be a mind of light, mm-hmm. and uh, and there's a lot that's that's uh, layered on top of that that needs to be peeled off so that we recognize. Who we really are and who Mm. we can be and who each person is so and in terms of practices you know there's many of them i mean simple left left nostril breathing is is profound because when you do left nostril breathing you activate your parasympathetic nervous system the whole system relaxes if you slow your breath down to less than six breaths per minute same thing parasympathetic nervous system so we want to be able to calm ourselves calm ourselves. It's only through that calmness that we can connect uh, to that eternal self. Even if it's just for three minutes, left nostril breathing, very, very simple. Cold showers also activate the vagus nerve and give us this little victory. Every time we do a cold shower, it wakes us up, makes us alive, increases the circulation um, or a cold dip in the lake. Um, so there's, there's many, many different practices that can be very, very helpful. Chanting, using a mantra with each breath. The typical one in kundalini yoga is inhale sat, exhale nam. Sat means being, what's real, what's true. That is the essential nature. So just, and then nam means identity. Okay, so if I'm inhaling sat, exhaling nam, there's nothing else to attach to. That's a primary attachment. And if I remember that and I do it with that awareness and not just mechanically, profound, absolutely profound. So there's just so many little things that are huge gifts uh, within Kundalini Yoga that work to shift our um, perception of ourselves and shift almost the zone that we live in from a zone of pain to a zone of being and uh, peace but that's a process it's a long process a process of practicing and a process of releasing the pain Mm
0: -hmm. and getting
1: in touch with the body feeling into the body instead of ignoring the body
0: Mm -hmm. yeah but acknowledging that process as you said of, of feeling feeling the pain in these stages because doing it all of a sudden if it's not been a habit at all just want to take a moment to to acknowledge like hearing you speak and i i obviously you know have been around your teachings and your presence but i'm just ever grateful for for this kindness that shines in and through what you do because it it's so deeply healing as you're saying um like speaking around addiction and and speaking to the little child and to this unbrokenness right and and I know for myself that it just relaxes my, my system so much, even just hearing it. And it's been so incredibly healing to have these moments of, there's nothing wrong with me, really. And um, and yeah, all the things you spoke to, the community piece, the, the breath, but the, I'm not forever broken. Like, I think that was one of the, the biggest pieces for me. Like, it's not, it's not damage that is not reversible. And that that we don't have power to change, and and yeah, just want to really acknowledge and thank you for that work. You're and with that kindness, I'd love to to bring in compassionate inquiry, as it is something that is so very dear to to both of us. You were my teacher in the year long professional training, and I'm continuously teaching and just loving to to be around you and um i'd love to just hear a little bit about your journey of of how that came to be the the journey from a naturopath and a kundalini teacher to developing this approach together with dr Gabor martin
1: well first of all i i i've always been interested in psychology i i My university training was um, biology and psychology and then naturopathic medicine. We had a fair amount of um, psychotherapy training in naturopathic medicine. And there was quite a focus in in the teachers I had at the naturopathic college at the time. There was a focus on the mind-body connection which I've always been intrigued with also as a yogi or yoga teacher is the mind-body connection. And, um, very early on I was also very interested in cancer and what, what cancer was meant on a psychological level and how to heal it. So, and then when I, I developed the beyond addiction training, I was, um, teaching that in Toronto in 2008. And I, I'm not sure if that's the year that Gabor's book came out, In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts, but it was re, it was fairly recent. And I was reading his book at the same time. And here I'm teaching this course and reading his book. Hey, this is a match. <laughs> he's, he's talking about energetically what I'm teaching. You know, we're, we're on the same page. And I didn't have, at the time, I didn't have very much experience with people who were suffering with addiction. My mother was an alcoholic, so I had lived experience with an addict for many years. Um, but I felt that if I was going to put this program together and, and offer it to the world, that I it would be great to have his expertise. So I invited him to teach it with me and... Um, Eventually, that happened in Vancouver in 2012, and as we were, he he came for one Saturday. Morning, it was four weekends, once one weekend a month over four weekends, and he came every Saturday morning, and we videotaped his section while he was speaking to the group and working with people, and I was struck. I had no idea that this is what he did. I wanted him to share his knowledge about addiction, but he started working with people one-on-one. And I, when I saw after some, a few weekends, what he was doing, wow, this is really interesting. And then I had him join us again in two thousand, two two more years of Beyond Addiction, uh, two more courses. So we filmed him in three different Beyond Addiction courses. And then after that, I said, Hey, Gabor, will you teach what you do here, what you're doing with these people? And said he, he initially, he said, um, uh, he doesn't know what he does. And I says, don't worry, I know what you do. <laughs> I'll structure it. You just show up. <laughs> and, and it was true, because I was starting to form uh, the plot line, you know, of what he what he did. And And I would write it out and I would show it to him. I think I maybe did that two or three times, and he would say, No, no, that's not it. No, no, that's, eventually I got it. Yeah, yeah, that's it, you know. Uh, That's nice, but that's not it, was one of the early ones. But then he, um, we convinced him, myself and another uh, person from Toronto, Michael Kerman, who has a, Uh, professional training for psychotherapists. He was running these courses ongoing for psychotherapists to learn new skills. And so Gabor asked him and I to partner to host this first Compassionate Inquiry event in Toronto. And as Gabor says, he was hoping that nobody would show up and 400 people showed up and the rest is history. So we videotaped that. and, um, And then I had enough material to structure the program. I already knew the, as Gabor calls them, the stepping stones. So I was formulating, okay, what is this line of inquiry that he's using over and over again? And I started to write that down. And then it was, aha, uh-huh, what are the skills he's using? Am I As I'm watching him, what is he doing that's separate from the line of the inquiry? So then I started tracking all the skills he was using, identifying them, writing them down. And then early on, he said the most important thing is therapy. And therapy is not what you do, but who you are as a therapist. So bingo, we have the, the final thing. Who are you as a therapist? What are the qualities necessary for the therapist for this to work? And that was the skeleton that then everything got hung on. It still is being added to uh, the more that I see Gabor work and the more that others now. Are practicing compassion query. the more I'm practicing practicing compassion query. now it's becoming clear how to even enhance that original uh, framework um, because we're all getting better at it and uh, so it's been a beautiful 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 process and somehow um, my relationship with Gabor I don't know it just works be he's got something I've got something and then two together so far so good works really well
0: mm-hmm.
1: I'm a synthesizer my mind easily synthesizes and likes to structure things mm-hmm. and create curriculums and um, and he's more of just a transmitter mm-hmm. <laughs> and i a, a, just a, an assimilator of so much wisdom and knowledge and then he puts it together and he speaks it whereas mm-hmm. I can chart it you know so that's kind of how
0: it evolved. Mm-hmm. Um, there is there is magic, in how the two of you work together for sure.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's. Uh, I would say I think we both. I, well, I should speak for myself. I I had no idea what I was doing. It was, it was like it was being done through me. You know, my I, I started I started videotaping Gabor thinking, "Oh, I need this content for the Beyond Addiction program." And I had lots of content and my husband says, why are you still taping him? Why are you still doing this? And I says, I don't know, but I'm not done yet. (laughs) And I just kept organizing more workshops with him and videotaping him. And then finally we have this thing.
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah.
1: It was very much an organic process, but now
0: uh, it's beautiful to see the result. Absolutely. Being part of the training has just been really, really life-changing. And I, I, as you know, started it in May 2020. So being in the program during the pandemic was extremely powerful, being in that community and learning these tools. Um, I'd love to give listeners a bit of a, a feeling sense of what happens in a compassionate inquiry session. And this is a bit of an experiment. We, we don't have crazy much time, and um, we can see what unfolds. But I'd be curious if you'd be open to modeling kind of a mini-mini session with me. Sure. It's hard to know how mini-mini can be, but we can, we can <laughs> That's try. That's true. <laughs> um,
1: Okay, so um, I can explain a little as we go through too. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. wonderful. So, so first, first, usually we would start with the grounding, which you've already done, so we we won't need to use the grounding, um, because compassion inquiry is about both parties, the therapist as well as the client, being in the present moment, and we get there through paying attention to the senses, and the body, and what's around us in the present moment, and then the second part is to empower the client by asking them if there's an intention they'd like to work with. So instead of the therapist thinking that they know everything, or that they know what's good for the client, we the client takes the lead throughout the whole session, and then the therapist just mirrors and follows and responds to and captures what the client may not be noticing, brings that to awareness, and there's this trust, this amazing trust in the process that once we have the intention, we we trust that the self actually is going to take us somewhere. So instead of me trying the therapist trying to control anything or guide anything or have any kind of agenda, it's wide open. And there's just this holding of trust that Whatever is going to evolve is the, is is purposeful, is necessary, and we just roll with it. So it's very spontaneous. There's this amazing spontaneity in Compassion Quarry because there's no trying. There's
0: no trying. So having said that, what intention would you like to work with? Um, I was driving on my scooter on, on the way from the office to my home to, to meet you for this recording. And, um, and I was just noticing my ever present tendency. And I, you know, I've worked so much through any addictive tendencies and I feel that overall I'm on top of them. And there's that one that just sneaks up on me and my partner calls it stacking. Um, and I'm, at this point so passionate about all the things I do in my life. But there's just a the part that that throws in a little too much for my physical body and, and my nervous system to actually appreciate. So I I just almost use my my schedule as like Tetris. Um and so the intention would be to kind of Connect with that part a little more, with that that part that kind of just compromises. Um, that knows there's a certain amount of space that would be healthy in my schedule, and then it just gets. Often these little windows then still get filled with something, and I find myself tired and overwhelmed. Okay.
1: So, is it that you want to understand? this stacking part of you that fills these little windows that are there and doesn't allow you to have the time that you need to regenerate? Is it understanding?
0: Yeah, I think a deeper understanding because I've tried to like force it to, to honor these gaps and it, it doesn't. <laughs> and so um, forcing doesn't seem to work. And, and so I feel, yeah, understanding it a little deeper of, of, I think that would be a first step. Okay.
1: So let me just go to the big picture first. So you um what it sounds like what you would like to be able to do is create a little bit more spaciousness in your life
0: mm-hmm.
1: where these gaps are honored and you can regenerate and then you wouldn't be so tired. Mm-hmm. Is that right? But what's getting? in, the, What are
0: you feeling right now as you say that? Hmm. It's just a y- yep, and um. I mean, I've 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 sat with this. I I just what had my, noticed, my dad's flesh. What do you notice in the body? It's um. It's a uh, despair is a bit strong, but it's a. Yeah, yeah, a bit of a hopelessness of, we've been there so many times.
1: Got it. Got it. Okay. This resonates for me as well, so thank you for doing this. Where do you notice that hopelessness? Where do you feel it? In my heart. In your heart. And if you stay with that sensation, what does it feel like?
0: I just had the image of like... um, almost like a stone that's in something that's elastic and it's just dropping deeper, deeper into my belly. But I know it's part of my heart, but it's almost like my heart can sink all the way down into my belly. So there's a a heaviness
1: in your heart and it's sinking all the way down to your belly and it's like a stone. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And as you feel into that, is there any other emotion in there, in your heart, as it sinks?
0: You know, it's not an emotion, but the word that comes is defeat. Defeat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So despair mm-hmm. and
1: defeat and the sinking in the heart. What else are you noticing now? Right,
0: well, I did, um, I feel like my dad's presence. I feel, I feel that little one inside me when I was mm-hmm. a
1: and tell me more about the little one inside you in your father's presence. What's happening?
0: She's um she's trying to get his attention. hmm
1: How's she trying to get his attention? Mm.
0: I feel like a really little one. She's maybe three, and she's just jumping around, kind of being childlike. Um, yeah, kind of almost like pull, pulling on on him, and um, yeah. And he's he's kind, but not just distracted he's he's not he just doesn't have the capacity to give to give her attention
1: so he's kind but he's not able to give her attention he doesn't have the capacity Mm -hmm. and so what's she feeling or what are you feeling right now without that attention Mm -hmm. that you're looking for lonely lonely You want someone really there with you. Mm -hmm. And what's the emotion in that loneliness? Sadness. Yeah. And where's the sadness right now in your body?
0: It's down in my belly. It's
1: in your belly. What can you sense there?
0: What does it feel like? I just had the image of of like a lake, like puddle. Puddle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: It's a puddle of tears. Yeah. Mm. And if that puddle or those tears or that sadness could speak, what would
0: it say? Before you just asked that, I just I just saw that little girl kind of like kick her little rubber shoes in that puddle, like she's frustrated.
1: So, so there's frustration there too. Mm-hmm. And as she kicks with frustration, what would she say? I don't understand. I don't understand. Yeah, I don't. I don't understand. Like. What else would she say after she says, I don't understand? What what else does she want to say? What does it take? What does it take? What's it going to take? What's it going to take for what? To get his attention. What's it going to take to get his attention? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Now, what do you feel as you say that or as you hear that? What's it going to take to get his attention? (laughs)
0: Here's that, that flatness again. That kind of wanting mm-hmm. to give up.
1: Mm-hmm. So there's the flatness and defeat. Yeah. Maybe a little despair.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: And how far back does this go for you, Christina? This this despair, the sense of defeat, what's it going to take to get his attention? How young were you when you first had that experience? What what do you think? Probably three. Three. Mm -hmm. And is there any one memory that comes back to
0: you? At an age? There's kind of, yeah. They're they're very like just, they're not like a a story, but they're little images of kind of, it feels like chaos in the house. Like he was, he was studying to be a doctor. He's a doctor. Um, My mom, there's two younger siblings. So when I was three and a half, there was already two other kids around. So there's, there's just a lot going on and he's, coming home from work and there's two other kids screaming and my mom's running around trying to take care of everybody. So there's like a, there's like a frustration that's kind of in the field. Everybody's a bit tense. And the
1: frustration is in you or the frustration is in the household? What do you think? It's in the household. In the household. There's a frustration in the household. What's, what's that? What's the theme of that frustration? Frustration because it's all too much. It sounds like it's too much and people's needs aren't getting met in general.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Okay. And when you were young, three, four, five, six, and you felt like it was too much and your needs weren't, getting met and there was chaos and all this stuff going on was there anyone that you could reach out to for help and say hey i need you Yeah. what was in the way of you
0: having that quiet time with your mother one-on-one time with your mother my two siblings, her her husband coming home, food needing to be put on the table, gazillion things that had to be done. Okay.
1: So she's just way too overwhelmed and overworked. Mm-hmm. And what about your father giving you that attention
0: and quiet one-on-one time? Same thing. Yeah. It might have been a moment here and there by both of them, just a moment of like, now she gets them, and now the little brother and the little sister and everything else that needed tending to. And if you were
1: to um, consider both of your parents and what was driving them in that environment, You have any thoughts on what that might have been?
0: They wanted to be good parents, to, to their best, the best of their abilities. Um, I could imagine there were there were moments of, we got ourselves into it. Now, kind of we we make the best of it. Like we were are responsible for these children now. I do know they they both dearly loved us. My mom wasn't around anymore. that's why I say loved. Um,
1: yeah your father must have been preoccupied with studying or mm-hmm. with work when he was a doctor, is correct? Yeah and I, I myself <laughs> knowing when I was studying to be an naturopath and I had one child. Practicing as an naturopath, I had three children. I know how hard it was to make it all work Mm -hmm. and spend time with the kids. And that that preoccupation is what comes to my mind, looking at my own background with my kids, because there was always something I had to do. Is it was that sort of the feel with your father? He Mm -hmm. always had to do something, so that preoccupation Mm
0: -hmm.
1: meant he didn't have much time for you.
0: Yeah,
1: and your mother sounds like she's just trying to hold it all together for the family and Mm. the kids, Mm. get the food on the table. So they're both preoccupied with their duties. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Absolutely, yeah, okay, so. Let's look at it from a child's perspective. Do you know any three-year-olds?
0: I do, my little nephew. Okay, what's his name? Teo. Teo? Teo, yeah. Teo.
1: What would his experience be if he had your parents and his father was busy studying or practicing as a doctor and not attentive and the mother was busy with two younger siblings? And a little bit overwhelmed, or very much overwhelmed. And then there's there's this air of frustration and kind of urgency to get everything done in the household. What would he feel?
0: Tao was in that environment. Yeah. I think at first he'd feel he'd feel angry and frustrated. He'd mm-hmm. probably um he'd probably throw a little tantrums, I could imagine. Um, And if that wouldn't work, I think he'd 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 get quiet and sad. Right. He'd kind of give up.
1: So first he uses his anger to express his frustration and he wants someone to pay attention to this anger and it doesn't work or it doesn't work very well so he gives up and then he becomes sad okay what do you feel right
0: now as you say that? (laughs) I'm just hearing myself what I said in the beginning I I tried to force that part and kind of like will it with tantrums and yeah, it, it there's yeah there's that and then there, there's exactly those feelings there's the frustration and then there's the, just the the sense of giving up
1: right and if it was Teo and this persisted this uh, environment persisted for a number of years what would he come to believe about himself
0: It's a bit pointless to express his needs. Like it's not going to be heard anyway.
1: Right. So it's pointless to express his needs. His needs don't matter. He's not going to be heard.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So would he would he really would he start to believe that his needs don't matter? Yeah. Absolutely. Because there's there's no space for them. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm
1: and that would show up in his behavior in that he expresses less and less. Yeah. And then how does he cope? What does he do instead of expressing his
0: needs? He becomes really self-sufficient of kind of making sure that at least all the needs that he can provide for himself are provided for.
1: Right. So he becomes self-sufficient and taking care of his own needs as best he can.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: And as he what would that look like as he
0: grows up? Becoming somebody who's very self-sufficient and very good at getting a lot of things done. <laughs> what does that do for him? Getting
1: being very good at getting a lot of things done. What does that do for him? Getting things done. Getting a lot of things done.
0: It feels like it gives him a sense of safety. Hmm, good. Safety. Anything else?
1: What does he say to himself every time he ticks off one more box, gets one more thing done?
0: I'm, see I'm good, see I'm good. Mm -hmm.
1: Does it give him a sense of value? Yeah. Like he does matter. He does matter. Mm -hmm. So that's how he compensates. For the belief that it doesn't matter, that his needs don't matter, Mm -hmm. by doing more stacking, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: he convinces himself that he does matter with the stacking of more and more things. If you were his mother, what would you do for him? How would you want to be with him? Just be need?
0: with him. Just be with him and with whatever whatever he wants to come with right now, whether that's he wants to play, he wants to show me something, he wants to hug, he just kinda of give him attention and see what he needs right now. Right, so
1: you'd be open and you'd be with him and you'd be curious about him. You'd be listening to him, observing him, attuned to him Mm -hmm. and to see what he needs and then you'd be available. You'd be available for him. Mm -hmm. How would he respond if he had you? Mm -hmm. What would that do
0: for him? There's a lightness. There's light. A joy that comes There's a bit of a cheekiness that comes through.
1: So he'd be lighter and cheekier mm-hmm.
0: It's really easy to imagine because it's kind of what he what he is like. Oh good okay. <laughs> yeah.
1: Now let's imagine that three-year-old four-year-old pick an age that, uh, that you once were. Can you connect with that part of yourself now? looking for attention from your father and it's not coming. How do you feel towards her?
0: I feel, at first there's a sadness for her, but there's compassion, there's like mm-hmm. a warmth.
1: Mm-hmm. How does she feel towards you?
0: Relieved.
1: Relieved? What's the relief for her?
0: Somebody's, somebody's there somebody's there
1: somebody's giving me some attention and is there anything she wants to ask you if she could express a need what would she say
0: first that thing that came was is it okay but um she's kind of just coming in for a hug
1: she wants a hug yeah good are you able to provide that for her mm-hmm. okay
0: yeah. hmm. what happens mm, she kind of just looked up to check if it was real Mm-hmm. and she kind of sinks back in yeah She's is it back real? Forth between like sinking in and then checking again and sinking in okay
1: so it's a little bit difficult for her to trust that this is real
0: mm.
1: now as you as an adult is there anything you can provide for her going forward so that she receives what she needs
0: That if she expresses a need to um, to listen to her, to visit her regularly, to kind of notice her more, but also if she expresses a need to kind of keep my word around that, like she's right. she wants playfulness, yeah. and I need to keep my word to her.
1: You, she wants, she needs you to keep your word to her and
0: mm-hmm.
1: engage in playfulness.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And yeah. how would that okay? Is that a good place to stop,
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> oh gosh, this work is so, it's just so it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
1: Yeah. That was very beautiful, thank you.
0: Mm. And I would love to just end with seeing if there's anything that you feel excited about sharing, of what's what's lighting you up these days around creating your world. Thank you.
1: Well, something I'm very happy about and excited about is that we're going to be teaching the Beyond Addiction Program in Amritsar in India. November the 19th to the 27th, very close to the Golden Temple at a hotel within a 15-minute walk from the Golden Temple. And so that's a nine-day retreat, and then it'll be followed up by four months of online integration starting in January. So we've been planning that for a long while, had to stop, put it on hold because of COVID, and now it's coming again. Um, I'm excited about my orchard. My peaches are ripe, <laughs> 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 and the apples. I'm not sure if I'll can the peaches or freeze them or what, but anyhow, I I love growing things. And um, of course, in Compassionate Quarry, we're going to be creating a an invitation for Indigenous people internationally to be part of the next. Cohort in February, so that's very exciting to support Indigenous people in learning compassion inquiries so they can can bring healing to their communities and offer it to their communities. Um, Yeah, that's that's about it. And I also have a grandson who's almost he's about twenty months, so I'm excited about him.
0: Oh, yeah, congratulations! Spending time with him. Oh, beautiful. Yeah.
1: Thank you, Christina. Yeah, thank you. Wonderful so much. to be with you. God bless. God bless you. Thank you and take care. Bye. Bye.
0: Thank you for joining us for Sensitive Matters. If you haven't had a chance yet, please subscribe on Spotify, Google Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast from. And if you have a chance, please rate and review if you're listening via Apple podcast, as it really helps more people discover the show to listen to these incredible conversations. This podcast is brought to you from Bali and made possible by my ethical jewelry company, Ananda Soul. You can check out our website and all of our ethically handmade jewelry at anandasoul.com. You'll also receive a $15 gift card on your first purchase when you subscribe to our newsletter, so make sure not to miss out on that as well. Thank you again for joining us, and we look forward to sharing more of Sensitive Matters with you.